Warning. This podcast contains true stories that are not intended for those missing a sense of humor. Any resemblance to actual events or allegations are purely coincidental. Before listening, please relieve yourself as possible adverse effects include spontaneous bladder leakage, mild hysteria, and sudden release of dopamine. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and guilty. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Karen. Welcome to Coding Consultant Confessions with Tony Elhos, Stacy Buck, and Victoria Mole. Unfiltered, unedited, unapologetic. In this podcast, Tony, Stacy, and Victoria come together to share unique perspectives, engaging dialogue, entertaining commentary, and funny stories for those working in the healthcare industry. And now, here are your hosts, Tony, Stacy, and Victoria. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to a brand new episode of Coding Consultant Confessions. I'm your host, Tony L. Holmes, and I'm joined by my amazing friends and co-hosts, Stacey Buck and Victoria Mull. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, all of our viewers, our supporters. We are so grateful to you um, for tuning in every other Wednesday. So today's episode, I'm super excited about we're going to be talking all about college degrees and how much a college degree is really worth in this industry. So before we get started, um, I want to preface this all by saying our episode today is going to focus on our industry and our industry alone. We're not going to focus on industries that require formal education, like being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. So this is really specific to what we do in our field. Um, so we're going to talk about how much our degrees worth in our industry, the value of certifications. And we're going to talk about this, you know, in real time in 2022. How does this apply in today's world? We're going to talk about um, each of our journeys as far as college education. We're all uh, we're all in, in different areas. We've all got uh, different levels of education, which is so cool because we've also um, all achieved a lot of success. And um, so we're going to talk a bit about our journeys and thoughts on college education. We're going to answer the burning question, is a college degree required to be successful in our industry? In this day and age, I think college degrees are losing their value largely because of skyrocketing costs linked with poor outcomes. So let's dive right in. Stacy. let's start with you. Tell us about your college education journey. So for me, I, I had always planned on going to college. That was kind of like a given. I mean, when you're in high school, what do they do? They gear you towards going to college and getting that four-year degree. And so I never planned on working in healthcare. You know, first of all, I didn't even know that this entire field existed. So when I entered college, I, my plan was to get a bachelor's in business administration. And I started out at Florida Atlantic University here in Florida. And the plan was to get the bachelor's in business admin. And I wanted to actually teach high school. I wanted to be a high school teacher 
and teach business classes in high school because I had enjoyed my business classes so much in high school. And I always, you know, was drawn to teaching. That was my passion, um, you know, ever since I had been like young where I would play, pretend, you know, school play, you know, with the little fake students and all that and do my lessons and, and teach my imaginary students. So that was what I was inclined to. And that that was my plan. And that was the tradition. That's what you would do. You would go to college, you get the degree. If you want to be a teacher, that's the expectation that you would have a bachelor's in something um, to enter into teaching. And then I you know, talked about this in a past podcast where we talked about our career journeys, where I ended up getting a temp job at a surgery center that was right next to the college. And that's when I found out about health information management. And at first I was like, why do you need a degree to do this? I mean, I was a file clerk, you know, basically and doing a little bit of records analysis. And I didn't see the value um, or why anybody would need a degree to do it. But then the more I learned about the field, I kind of understood that. So I ended up, I only spent a semester at FAU. I ended up dropping half of my classes because I started working more and partying more and didn't attend class. So my first semester, I finished English and math and that was it. And then I quit school um, for like a year and then I continued to party and I continued to work, party full-time and work full-time. Um, I had no problem, you know, working a full-time job. And then I decided to go back to school a year later and I still was interested in like, you know, business classes and those types of things. So I decided to get my associate's degree in um, business admin, which I did at Palm Beach Community College back then. And then once I finished there, then I went on to Florida International University to get my bachelor's in health information management. And again, you're, you're conditioned. You're always conditioned to get that bachelor's degree. I never thought of not having a college degree. I know when I took time off from college, a lot of my high school friends were like, oh, I can't believe you dropped out of college. You're a college dropout. Like, what are you doing? And I was looked down upon by a lot of people um, because of what I did. But, you know, I just took step back from school. It wasn't something I was into. I didn't really want to be there. And I was enjoying working like much more. Um, but anyway, I did go back. And the only reason that I took the bachelor's program at Florida International University in HIM was because back then you had to have that degree in order to sit for that credential. Back then it was the RRA. I'm old school before it was the RHIA. That's what we were. And you had to have that degree in order to sit for that exam. And I knew that it was the field that I wanted to be in. And that was like your highest level credential that you could achieve in, in that field. And so it's just the natural you know, progression of things. Um, you know, after I came out of that program, I started to go more non-traditional and get more into revenue cycle where you weren't as much into privacy and security and, and you know, things of that nature, which are traditional HIM. And I had dabbled in coding like on the job. And I always liked the coding piece and like the revenue piece of it. And the other stuff didn't really interest me as much. And so once I hit a certain point in my career, even early on, like I would say probably by my late 20s, I'm questioning like the value of having that degree. I think it may have opened up some doors for me because, you know, you have the RHIA credential. So that's a little helpful. But ultimately what I would end up doing, I, what I'm doing now, I could do with absolutely no college degree whatsoever. It isn't needed. If I could find another Stacy out there, a young person who you know has aspirations to do this and I could work with them, I'd be like, you don't need to spend your money on a bachelor's degree. You know, an associate's degree, I don't think is a bad thing if you want to be a medical coder 
because you can go into a program and get the foundation. Um, and then you have credits that are transferable if you decide you want to elevate your education. But they're also in their certificate programs as well. You don't even need to get an associate's degree anymore. You go into coding certificate. But what's nice about going to the college is, again, those credits can be counted towards a degree if you decide to go down that path. So for me, it's just not, you know, I want to say it's helped a little bit, but could I have done it without it? Yes, I believe if you have that drive, if you have that ambition and you're that go-getter and there are so many ways to learn medical coding like now, you know, if we're specifically talking about medical coding that you don't necessarily need to go that traditional route in order to do that. So if I had to do it all over again with the degree, would I do that? Probably. Um, because I still think that there's a bit of a stigma if you don't have a college degree. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that because I see so many people who are highly successful, um, whether it be in high positions in organizations or highly successful entrepreneurs that don't have college degrees. And we've all seen those success stories where high school dropouts become multimillionaires and build these like really successful companies. So I think a lot of it depends um, on the, the individual and then just really focusing in on like, you know, what is it you want to do? Like certain things in our industry do require like a higher level degree. Like people have asked me, you know, oh, Stacy, I always thought you'd get a master's degree. Why haven't you gotten a master's degree? And I said, well, number one, I hate going to school. I hate being a student. I like being a teacher. And then I said, me earning a master's degree will not earn me one more penny doing what I do. There's absolutely no value. Now, if you're looking for higher positions where you want to be a C-level person in a large organization or you want to get into health informatics or something like that, it probably makes sense to go down that path. So I think it's just getting really clear on what you want and just knowing that you don't have to go down that path of a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, particularly because the cost is ridiculous. I mean, back when I went to school, I got tuition assistance from my employer they reimbursed and almost all of my associates and bachelors was paid through tuition reimbursement. There's no way employers are paying that much of the price tag now. I mean, back then it was maybe you could earn the degree for like $5,000, you know, get through a bachelor's program. And now, you know, it's insane. So it's really just looking at what you ultimately want to do and then planning accordingly. But to kind of sum that all up, if you're just looking to go into medical coding, there are lots of ways to do it without earning a college degree. And you can be a big earner. Victoria's proof of that. I mean, I love her story. You know, you've, you've heard her story in a past episode. And, you know, again, we all come from slightly different backgrounds and our education's a little bit different, but we've all been able to build successful businesses, uh, mainly just because of, you know, how we are, um, you know, and who we are and what we put into it more than the educational program that we went through. Totally. I could not agree more. Um, you know, I, I think what you said about being conditioned in, in high school is so true, right? Like we're told like, this is really the only path to success. And if you don't get a college degree, you're kind of shunned, um, you know, trade schools and community colleges are not encouraged. They're looked down upon, which is absurd because, you know, a lot of people that go to community college, including myself have been very successful and lots of people that have not gone to community college have been very successful. So I think it's, you know, obviously the person and their goals and what they want as far as their yeah. success. It's like the trade schools. It's like, well, you don't have what it takes to succeed in college. So we're going to push you into a trade school. That's kind of how the mindset like was that there was like that differentiator 
there, which has nothing to do with like anything. And then these days you can make a lot more doing a trade, let's face it, than you can getting a college degree and then going into the workforce. Yeah, exactly. Which is why you see a lot of second and third career um, people that are, you know, teachers or nurses that are like, I'm done with this. I want to go to another job that's easier. I'm willing to go back to school and, you know, invest in, in, in that part of it to um, just get out of this field. I think that's happening, especially right now in 2022 with teaching and nursing. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of physicians that are like, I'm done with medicine. I want to move into other areas, non-clinical areas. And that is going to create a lot of systemic issues in healthcare. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation with a resident a couple of years ago as we were kind of chatting on our way to the parking lot to finish up our days. And he was saying about how he's got so much money in debt and his friends had gone to business school at the same time he went in to become a physician and that they were already on Wall Street and making millions of dollars. And he's like, and here I am, you know, in a ton of debt. He's like, it will pay off eventually. He's like, but all of my friends that went into business are like making buku bucks already. Victoria, tell us about your college education journey. <laughs> so just to kind of uh, play a little bit on the the college program versus the, the trade school. So when I went to high school, we had two programs. You either were into a college prep program, which meant you took like higher level math and stuff, I think. And then the tech program where you went to the technical school during the day and you learned, you know, I think they might have had some like CNA programs. They had, you know, woodworking. They had welding type stuff where you do trades. Um, and I was a terrible student. They had me in college prep because I, I didn't want to learn a trade and I wasn't doing well. And it wasn't until I think my second to last year of high school where they're like, well, we actually have this third thing and it's called business prep. And I'm like, well, what the hell is business prep? They're like, well, we prepare you to be like in business. And I'm like, oh, well, sign me up for that. Cause it was like, you know, it wasn't as high math classes. Like I didn't have to take trigonometry. I could just take algebra and stuff. I'm like, that sounds great. Uh, and it was one of the best things ever because, you know, all of those things that people complain about in high school that they don't learn, like I learned those. I learned how to fill out my W-4. I learned how to do my taxes. I learned like, oh, if you're running a pizza shop, you know, let's take a calculation of how many pizzas people will buy at different prices and then figure out what your pricing should be for your pizzas so that you will make the most profit off of it. I learned, you know, like I learned a ton of importance. I learned when is the best time to go and buy a car, how to calculate how much you're going to be paying extra in interest for your car payments, like all of those things that everyone's like, I never learned this in high school. I'm like, well, apparently that you're in the wrong program because in business preparation, they told me <laughs> how to do all of this stuff, stock markets, all of it. Um, but yeah, so I was not a, I was not a good student, but again, it, it was instilled upon me that I was supposed to go to college. So even though I was in the business prep program, that was like my mindset. And I had to deal with my, my parents. They're like, oh, well, if you want to go to the local community college and get a two-year degree, like, we'll pay for it. I um, went for web design. That was what my interest was at the time. I was a, a blogger, an amateur blogger about, you know, pop culture and 80s stuff and candy and whatever wild new menu items they had at Taco Bell or whatever. Like, that's what I, I blogged about. And... Um, I think I was just about done and decided it wasn't what I wanted. So, you know, thankfully I, I finished that without having student loan debts. 
um, took a break from that and then wound up going back to school for medical coding, but through my college certificate program. So at the time, they didn't have an associate's degree program. They do now. Kind of looking back, like, would I have gone for an associate's? I might have. Um, you know, is it something that I want to go back for now? No. Do I feel FOMO a little bit when I see everyone's like, I'm going back and finishing my master's. And I'm kind of like, that sounds really cool and impressive. But also like, kind of like everyone else said, like, there's no point in me going out now and even getting an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree or anything. Like, there's no positions, there's no advancement that I would be gearing towards that would require that. So I, I've talked about this in the past, like I'm very proud now of the point that I have no college degree and have done so well <laughs> in my business without having one. So it's almost like at this point, I'm like, I just, I, I don't even want to, because it's just so cool to be like, I have no college degree and look at how well I'm doing. And just like Stacy said, like for our industry, it's, it's not really needed unless you're going into certain things. Like if I had an associate's degree and then decided, oh, you know what, I want to become the compliance manager. And they said, oh, well, we want someone who has a bachelor's degree for that. Then at that point, that might be an advancement I would, I would be interested in taking. But I've seen so many more organizations now that traditionally in years and years and years have said like, oh, well, for a practice manager, you have to have a bachelor's degree. But now they're winding back on that and they're going, oh, well, you know what? If you have like eight years of experience in healthcare, you can have that in lieu of a bachelor's degree. I've even seen people that have less than that. And they're like, yeah, you know what? They just have worked really well as, you know, supervisor of the practice or they've done well in these different aspects and we'll just kind of grandfather them in and skip over those requirements. As someone may be coming new into a practice manager role, they might be looking for that more. But a lot of times now they will take years of experience in lieu of the bachelor's degree because if you can prove that you have all of the skills required to do the budgets, talk with physicians, you know, all of that, they, they're willing to just put you into those positions now. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to a lot of what you said. I think degrees are not an effective measure of competence or intelligence. There are a lot of people that I know that have master's degrees. There's people that I know that have PhDs that, um, you know, couldn't find their way out of cardboard box. They're professional students, if yeah. you will. Um, and a lot of that, I think, has been, you know, uh, propagated by society, right? Like society has just ingrained this in us that you don't go to college and get, a, you know, an education, the formal route, then you have no path to success. For me personally, I always wanted to go to college. I took all AP, um, AP classes in high school. I was on the debate team. I was on the fast track to be a politician one day. That was my goal. I was going to be an attorney and then I was going to be, uh, I was going to go into lobbying. And I was, I, I was just like, that was, that was my path. I had determined that from a young age. And um, when I graduated high school, this was right around the time that the economy completely tanked. It was a very bad time in the world. Back then, you know, four and $5 gas prices was like very different than now, you know, as far as the sticker shock. And so um, it was just a very bad time in the economy. And I had actually enrolled as an undergrad in a really great university as a political science major. And I was there for about a month. And 
um, was shocked because I had a scholarship for um, the tuition part, but the actual like cost of room and board was so substantial to the point where I was like, you know what? I may not be my, making the right decision. It's going to be thirty to forty thousand dollars just for that per year. I was going um, to a college in, or a university in Washington D.C., so I was surrounded by rich kids, you know, and people that you know their their college education is just funded. And so um, I actually left the university, and I'm so glad that I did because if I was there and I had accumulated, you know, all of that debt and went into law school probably would have, you know, $500,000 worth of student loan debt. So at that time in my life, I was devastated because I thought, okay, this is what I always wanted to do. But um, I ended up getting an internship at a local community hospital in the medical records department. I was looking around trying to figure out what I was going to do. And um, I was looking at healthcare because I wanted something that was recession proof. I wanted something that um, I didn't have to worry about, you know, changes in the economy and healthcare is something that is recession proof. And so started looking into medical billing and coding um, and uh, got that internship. And then I got a job at a multi-specialty practice. And then from there, it just kind of, you know, builded and compounded. But when I talked to some of the people that I graduated in high school, I remember at that time I was shunned, like Stacy says, I was like, kind of looked down on like, wow, you dropped out of college. Like, wow, you're going to be a loser. Like, you know, what, what's the plan for you? And now <laughs> I see those same people that I graduated from high school with, and they've got mountains of student debt. They are completely miserable. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them are very miserable and stuck in careers that they hate. And they're so upside down in debt and, you know, just the life choices that they've made that they don't really have any other choice. Um, when you've spent $200,000 on a degree or more, you're kind of, you're pot committed at that point. It's going to take, you know, a lot to get out of that kind of debt. So um, it was the best thing that happened to me um, in hindsight at the time, it felt like the most devastating thing that happened to me. And now, you know, 13 years into the industry, I am so glad that I made that decision um, and ended up going into healthcare instead of, you know, going um, the college route. And as an expert witness, um, you know, I do a lot of work in, in, in the legal field and um, the attorneys, when, you know, they're on the other side, they want to try to get under your skin. And so they'll often poke at me and say, oh, you don't have a college degree and try to belittle me and make me seem like, you know, I'm not uh, competent or qualified. Uh, because I don't have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. And I love to, you know, just look at them and, and um, say, well, I never needed it. It wasn't, you know, something that would have changed or um, impacted my level of expertise. Um, there's been times throughout my career where I've, you know, toyed with, should I go back? Should I get my bachelor's? Should I get my master's? And um, the last job that I had in corporate um, I talked to my boss about it because he was very, very big on, you know, education and he had his master's and basically offered to support, um, you know, my undertaking of going to, uh, um, you know, get my bachelor's and potentially master's. And, um, you know, when I, I sat down and had a real conversation with them, I'm like, am I going to get any more money for, um, you know, getting this degree? Is this really going to change anything? And, and he was very honest and said, no, <laughs> it's not. So, um, you know, that was kind of 
a, a very uh, solid answer that I needed at that point. And then over time, I've just, you know, discovered that um, a college education is, is it's, it's very valuable depending on the type of, you know, role that you're in, the type of field that you're in, uh, but it's a piece of paper and it demonstrates that you showed up, you took some tests and you paid for that piece of paper. It does not demonstrate competence or intelligence. Um, and, you know, I've seen a lot of folks that are extremely successful and more than capable that have no degrees. So, yeah, my job, last job before I worked in medical coding was working at a call center for a retail store. And there were at least one or two people there that had their bachelor's degrees in, I think they were like English and were just working customer service at the call center because they just couldn't do much with them or they were the type of people that were very good students and were able to pass their degree because, you know, when they're given an assignment, they can just go, okay, this is my assignment and this is what I'm supposed to do and complete the task, but can't really think too much outside of being given that directive of this is your grid and this is your criteria. Um, and it's it's sad, but that we be, we push college so, so much. People just pick some kind of degree and they wind up picking, you know, oh, I like writing, so I'm going to go in for my English major. And then they finish college. They can't get a job. They've got $50,000 in debt. And, you know, it's, it, it's sad. It's really sad. One of the things I hated about when I was teaching at the tech school is I had so many medical assistants um, that, you know, they have to take introduction to coding. They have to learn a little bit about the diagnosis code, CPT codes and stuff. And the one day they told me, they're like, yeah, in this program, and I don't know, I'm paying like $30,000 for it. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're paying $30,000 to become a medical assistant? At that time, medical assistants weren't even making $30,000 a year. How can you honestly charge someone for a degree that's going to cost more than what their annual salary is going to be. Well, and, and that's the thing. Yeah. It, it mathematically makes no sense, but people aren't doing basic math. Universities are businesses. They want to make money. They've got these massive marketing and advertising budgets. And, you know, most degree programs, again, with the exception of the ones that actually require it, are a complete scam. They are they're marketing, um, you know, scams and they've done a great job of, um, you know, convincing society to continue to propagate this idea that you have to have a college degree. Um, and, uh, you know, I've done different uh, um, uh, residencies, I'll call it, with uh, universities where I'll go in and teach different programs with instructors. And that's a really cool, um, fun you know, thing to do with uh, instructors and professors. But I'll tell you, the vast majority of the folks that I've uh, dealt with in the academic world have never actually practiced in the fields that they're teaching. They're just um, really talking from the lens of, of academia. They haven't actually been a coder or, you know, worked at a hospital or have no real world experience or context to be able to give these people. So like you said, Victoria, they can take a test and they can read a book. But when it comes to coding, there's a huge difference between um, practical coding and uh, textbook coding. 
Yeah, and then we wind up with all of these coders that get out into the real world, and they're like, what's a local coverage coverage determination? How do I get on the CMS website? Why is Highmark not going with the coding guidelines? What do you mean I have to use a different code for them with an S code? Like, they have no clue because they're just kind of taught textbook what the CPT guidelines are and what the ICD... Well, probably not as much the ICD guidelines because for some reason people like to skate over those like they're not important. But um, uh, and then then they have no real world experience because the teachers just don't don't know. They they got you know a, a medical coding degree and then went right into teaching or they got their like RHIA or something and and they don't have that real world experience to share. Or sometimes we just see that the curriculum that these organizations have, they like they just pull them out of the box and they're like, here you go. I'd like to add a couple of comments to what you ladies shared. So one reason why people tout college degrees is they talk about earnings potential. And you know you see the statistics that show that people with college degrees like over the course of their lifetime like earn so much more money we've like all heard those before and while i think in some instances that's true that is not true across the board and like for example i can tell you this has happened to me more than one time so in my work often i have attorneys come to me and need to contract with me to do some audits for them help them with some coding issues you know for cases that they're working on and when the attorneys ask me what my hourly consulting rate is for this type of work, and I tell them, I've had more than one attorney tell me, you charge more than I do per hour. You make more than I do. And they're like stunned by that. And I'm like, well, this is what the market calls for because it's this highly specialized area. And I'm sorry, you're not making that much money as an attorney. Um, you know, it could be their level of experience. Their newer attorneys are going to start out, you know, lower. Obviously, they're not going to be making top dollar when they start out in the field. So, you know, that kind of puts it in perspective that now I'm not billing 40 hours a week at an hourly rate that like, you know, more than an attorney that doesn't happen. It's for specific types of work that I'm doing that get billed at that kind of rate. So again, you don't have to have, you know, that profession or some physicians don't make that per hour. Let's face it, especially in this environment that we're in. So you actually in the medical coding field, depending on how you play your cards, have the ability to make more than an attorney, have the ability to make more than a physician, and you don't necessarily need to have a degree to do that. And then also, you know, like you were saying that the degree, that either the higher level degree doesn't necessarily equate to like knowledge or intelligence or, you know, even capability. I mean, I've been in this field for 30 years and I've worked with people across the spectrum, all levels of education, people who had high school diplomas only, associates, bachelors, masters, PhD people. And it's very interesting to work with, with all those different levels of education. And I tend to find that the people at the lower levels of education do better with practical application with things and getting things. That's a general observation. And recently I kind of like stepped in a pile of doo-doo, like in a meeting that I had not too long ago. And we were talking about higher education and degrees and particularly people with master's degrees. And I said in a room full of people, half of which half of these people in the room had master's degrees. I wasn't thinking about it at the time I said it, but I go, let's face it. I go, a lot of people with master's degrees are just freaking idiots. And then after I said it, I was like, uh, I go present company excluded because it hit me. Like, what No, your audience. My audience. Baby. I was talking off the cuff and I didn't want to insult anybody in the room. Um, you know, there, so I was like, oh, I'm like, okay, I'm like, I gotta save that. I didn't mean that the way it like came out. 
Um, you know, there are highly intelligent people who have master's degrees. I'm not saying that because you've chosen academia that you're not smart or you're not capable, but I just find, I mean, generally speaking, that there's common sense knowledge. You know, people have common sense when it comes to applying certain things. And then you have people with book knowledge. And we even know in the coding field, like Victoria was just saying, you learn your book knowledge, but when you're out there in the trenches, that book knowledge is only gets you so far. You know, what you took away from, you know, academia, what you got in the classroom. And then out there, you kind of have to figure things out on your own as you go along. Somebody's not going to hand you a manual and tell you how to do it. Or sometimes people who have the higher levels of education where, you know, you can sit there and maybe you can give me this very detailed analysis on how to do this thing and give me this matrix and create it for me and hand it to me. Where I'm like, I don't want to waste time with that. I'm like, let's just jump in, roll up our sleeves and get something done. Why are we spending all this time over here? Let's come up with a basic game plan and go from there. So it's a different way of approaching things. And I think it works differently um, depending upon your personality and like what you're drawn to. But you really can't make any, you know, let me just kind of say this to sum it up because I don't want to offend anybody. You can't, you know, use a broad brush, you know, and put everybody in one category, you know, you know, you know characterize them a certain way. But again, working with all the levels of education, I have found people at the lower levels to be some of the most impressive individuals. And then those who have the higher education, I don't really see that they're so much more impressive than the people who have the lesser degrees. That's just been a personal observation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, the role of certifications in our industry and the value that they hold versus the formal education route. So, um, Stacy, do you want to start? Sure. So, I mean, obviously, we know in our industry, like certification really is everything, particularly when it comes to coding. Um, and if you want to make it in coding and you want to be, you know, hugely successful, then certification is definitely the way to go. Whether you choose APC, whether you choose AHIMA or other specialty organizations um, in your chosen area, that's really what people look towards. It's that and experience. Let's face it. In our field, people want experience. And that is kind of a catch-22 for those newer people who want the jobs and are having trouble finding them because, hey, I have my credential, I passed my exam, but nobody will hire me um, because of experience. So it's trying to navigate and figure out how to get that experience there um, with the credential. I also feel, you know, Victoria, this is kind of going a little bit off and kind of coming back to something Victoria talked about, like with educational programs and like the cost of like education. So I remember years ago, this is about 20 years ago, where I taught at one, it was MedVance. Those of you who've been around for a while, you may remember MedVance. I don't know if they still exist somewhere, but they closed down all the campuses they had here. And they had a coding certificate program where you would attend for a year and you'd go for, what is it, I think five nights a week, you would go um, for several hours a night. And back then you were paying like, I think $14,000 a year for this coding certificate program which now I'm sure there are more. And I'm like, back then, $14,000 was way too much to pay for a coding certificate program because back then you could earn a bachelor's degree for under that amount of money. And I never understood why people would put themselves in a program like that. Again, you took the marketing, Tony. It's that slick marketing of these programs and they bring in these people. And what I found that most of the people in the program they were getting um, government funds. So they were getting grant money that went directly to the school. And then the school would set them up 
with student loans for the balance. So they have a vested interest in enrolling as many people as they possibly could because the school's getting the money from the government and also from the lender and then the students left on the hook. And in the program, what was horrible is the fact that they're paying all this money and they're not preparing them. They weren't screening the people properly. Um, by the time I got in there and started teaching these people coding, it was like half of the people in the classroom, I'm like, you will never make it in this field. You were, like their entrance exams were like a joke. They were like general knowledge stuff. They weren't specific to screening you for a medical coding program. And almost everybody failed medical terminology and yet they still pass them on to me to do medical coding. And then I start introducing real world stuff into the classroom. I'm moving away from the book and teaching. This is what you're going to need to know, you know, on the job. We're going to get into CMS policy. We're going to get into this kind of stuff. I'm going to show you how it all works. And I got in trouble with administration for doing that. They're like, you're making this too difficult. You know, you need to hold their hand. You need to like help them and you can't do this. And I'm like, but you're not preparing them. I mean, I may have told the story in a past episode about what happened there. And I ended up quitting that job because I couldn't be a part of like what they were doing. But that still goes on. I mean, to this day in programs where they're charging a lot of money. And then the sad thing is people are coming out of these programs. They're not prepared. They're not successful. They're not finding jobs. And they have all this debt because of a coding certificate. That's like the worst thing in the world for a coding certificate. You're in all of this debt. I mean, it's bad enough for a bachelor's degree or a master's, but a certificate program. And it still happens with these schools that go out there and sell, you know, this as and it's a great field. And there's a lot of job opportunity out there, but they're not preparing you adequately to go out into the field. And they don't do enough for job assistance like either. Um, and because they then they also have a reputation of producing quality students. You get some quality, like any program, even in a bad program, you will find those rock stars. We all know that they're like in every group, you know, I've taught at the college level and you see who the rock stars are. And even I saw rock stars at that program, you know, that I was in the ones who were, you know, really engaged, but it's, yeah, that's probably one of my pet peeves about the industry is people getting ripped off on the education side. And I could really get on a soapbox and just rant on that for probably like two or three hours because of the horrible things that I've personally witnessed and stories that I've heard from newer professionals. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the tough thing is the people who get through those programs and then can't find jobs tend to have the loudest voices. So we wind up with this very bad reputation for our entire field that like, oh, well, everyone's trying to make everyone medical coders, but there's no jobs out there because we have so many individuals that are completely unprepared. They don't know how to pass a uh, employer assessment. They don't come prepared to a interview correctly they don't have keywords that need to be on their resume on their resume like their names at the top but it doesn't have their credentials next to it so you know that's when we wind up with all these people going oh well, medical coding is a big scam you know i went to whatever the heck that magazine uh, advertisement company is where you take the correspondence course or whatever and you know i never found a job in it and you know eight weeks, because I become a medical coder eight weeks <laughs> Yeah, sign up for my boot camp over the weekend and you'll be a medical coder by Monday or they yeah. prey on the single moms, right? Like, right. oh, work from home with your kids and, you know, like. The advertisements with the mom holding the baby in her lap, like working, like seriously. <laughs> and then there's people in this industry that propagate that idea, which yeah. pisses me off even more because it's not realistic. Baby in one hand, CPT book in the other. <laughs> 
that's Tony. She's got three babies though in one hand. (laughs) Yeah. Like me trying to do anything that requires neurons is like, it's just not going to happen. So medical coding is not a get rich quick scam. It's not something you can just learn overnight. And, um, you know, uh, I work with attorneys a lot and I'll tell you when I work with senior attorneys, there's a huge difference in their knowledge base versus somebody that just graduated law school. They take minimum five years on the job in the trenches every single day before they even know like what's going on, how to draft a motion. Like it's the same thing in coding. It takes like, I would say a good three to five years before you even have an idea of what is going on, how the system works at large. It takes years. Yeah. And one of the nuances I think we deal with a lot is these schools and these educators, they're like, yes, there is this huge demand for medical coders. And there is a huge demand for medical coders, for experienced medical coders. And that's the key thing there. We have a huge demand for people that have one or two years experience. And I really think as an industry as a whole, we should be doing a much better job at developing more entry level positions, more uh, internship opportunities. And that's, that's, if I could change one thing about the industry, I think that would definitely be it is having more open opportunities for some of those entry-level medical coders, which is tough because I think, you know, I think I've spoken about this in the past. When we train for medical coding, it's not like training to get your LPN or to get your RN. You don't have that hands-on clinical experience where someone who, you know, you're applying for an LPN position, we know that those people have done clinically certain criteria. They've done, you know, a catheter, they've done patient care, they have hands-on completed these tasks. When you're hiring a medical coder, we don't know if you have your CPCA because you took a two-year associate's degree program, um, because you took a two-day boot camp, you self-studied. You know, we don't we don't know, and that's why they have kind of those employer assessments, and they're they're very cautious because it's easy to just say, oh well, we have we need someone with two years experience because there's just that flood of people. So to to cut back on having to figure out who's good, who's not out of these fifty thousand applicants it's easier to just go, oh, well, we need someone that has two years experience so that we know that you've done things hands-on. Yeah, we definitely need better like internship opportunities um, while people are in programs. So if you're enrolled in an AHIMA accredited program, they're KHIM accredited programs, you know, whether you're bachelors, whether you're associates, they do require, I mean, I'm going to call them clinical hours, but they, what do they call them? Professional practice experience. That's it where you're actually supposed to get hands-on experience doing different functions, you know, and the problem is they have trouble placing people, finding employers who will allow them to, you know, send students and work with them. And I remember when I was in school for my bachelor's, each semester you had what was called directed practice. And so you would do 64 hours per semester where you had to go to a healthcare facility and there were certain tasks that you needed to, you know, perform during the 64 hours. And then your last semester in college, you did like 180 hours, I think, for internship or 160 or something like that. And with me, what I ended up doing was because they couldn't place everybody. This was even back then when I think the opportunities were more plentiful um, to, to do all this. I did a lot of my stuff on my current job. I was working in HIM. So they made an exception and they said, if you want to do this stuff on the job and you've met all the criteria, then you can do this. I think there was only 
for a small portion. I went to other facilities that were like on our campus where I talked to the directors, hey, will you take me? You know, I went and did some time in psych, um, you know, got into the medical records department in psych, and then I did a little bit of the acute care. But even the exposure that you have for that limited amount of hours is not near enough to have claim I've got hands-on experience and I know how to do this. It's just simply not there. And I don't know how we get there. I mean, Practicode is a great thing from AEPC. I know that HIMA also has their virtual lab. Like they've tried to find ways to bridge that gap, but it's still very difficult because it's, it's not hands-on experience. You're trying to mimic it, but it's not quite the real world hands-on experience. Yeah, I, I think Stacy, you're right. That that's always been a struggle and both AAPC and AHEMA have tried to do it. Um, and it just hasn't been done well because we've yeah, got this then, saturation. Yeah, well, I just want to say, and then COVID obviously took a lot of on-site opportunities out that had been there before. Um, and I think because so many of us are going remote, facilities are like, well, how do I do an inter internship with somebody when everybody's remote? We don't even have coders here in the department. We don't have HIM people here in the department. They're at home. So how do we as an industry bridge that gap when so many people are sitting at home. I don't know how many people would be comfortable having somebody come sit in their home with them and do hours. I wouldn't. Like that's just, you know what, it's one of those things we have to think about as an industry as a whole. Right. As I'm sorry, I just want to quick jump in and say that the alternate, I guess, would be like, I can turn on my camera and you can just watch me be a camera code. Right, right. COVID changed the game. I mean, well, they're supposed to be doing, cool. like, they're supposed to be doing the tasks, not like watching you. Like, that's like a no no. So, how do you have them do tasks for you, like, virtually? I mean, it's, it's hard enough because you still have to promise the employees that, you know, are supposed to be working, they still have to get their work done. And now they're dealing with this like, intern that they have to like monitor and they have to supervise and deal with. So it takes time away. And let's face it. I mean, we've been in healthcare long enough. We know it's all about production, productivity of certain numbers that you have to meet. And that's what it comes down to. And we don't have time for anything else. So it is like a catch 22, unfortunately, in the industry that they need all of this. But there's nowhere really for people to get that type of experience that they need to adequately prepare them for the job. Now, some education programs are better than others. Um, one that I hear only amazing things about is Andrews School. Now, Andrews School is not a typical school. It's not a college. It's not, you know, anything like that. It's not a traditional educational institution. Linda Andrews started this amazing training program, has a huge success rate with people getting their CCS, their CPC, and Andrews students, graduates, even though it's not a true college program, they have a high success rate in their students getting jobs because of the quality that Andrews is putting out. So that's an alternative to that traditional education route. That's just one that I yep. feel comfortable putting out there. Um, Victoria, you may have thoughts on some others because you deal with a lot of them, but I know that one hands down has a great reputation for educating you and then helping you get a job. Yeah, and I'm going to jump in. So OS2 is also another great one. Melissa Freeman has done incredible work placing coders, um, assigning them to these HCC programs. I feel like she's the real trailblazer in the industry for taking apprentice coders and putting them to work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you can get into her apprenticeship program, that is like the way to go because that's it's it's amazing. I've never heard a single bad thing spoken about that OS2 program. People just have high, high 
reviews of it. Um, I did just want to chime in and say, you know, one of the things that you have to be very careful about, though, if you're someone who's interested in going down that route and starting your own kind of training institution, is we are starting to see um, some government intervention that if you call yourself a school, you call yourself an academy, you present yourself as though you're a school, they're going to want you to structurally be set up as a school. And in some states, it's a little bit more strict than others. So just be very cautious because, um, you know, there's certain regulations that they have set up for college institutions, higher education institutions, and what differentiates, you know, a higher education institution versus someone who is, has more of like a consulting firm where they're just training people in different skill sets for a field. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that certifications have exploded in the last 10 years. It used to just be like the CPC, the CCS, the CCSP, um, you know, were like the CPMA were the main credentials. And then you had some specialty credentials. Now it's like exploded. It's like credentials on steroids. I see some of these acronyms and I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, um, okay. So there's a credential for practically everything. Um, but the cool thing about what we do, um, and this will kind of segue into our next point and, and kind of piggyback on the value of certification. So um, as far as certifications, we have all these different specializations and options now. Um, and we, we also have different practice areas, if you will. So like attorneys, they have practice areas. They can be personal injury, criminal defense, estate planning, like different practice areas. Our field is unique in that you also have different practice areas. So you could go into coding and then in coding, you can go into risk adjustment. You could be a surgical coder. You can be very niche like Stacy and do a very specific area of coding. You can do profi. Um, you could specialize in outpatient procedures or hospital outpatient surgeries. Inpatient, that's its own ballpark. Um, so we've got all of these different practice areas. Then you, you can go into auditing and forensic analysis, compliance, practice management, credentialing, payer enroll, like there's just all of these different areas that if you understand revenue cycle and how it works, it is very valuable to you. So then you see all of these specialty certifications that have, you know, kind of sprung up in the last few years. And, um, you know, I always recommend folks uh, combine that hands-on experience with those specialty certifications, because especially the specialty certifications, they demonstrate a master's level comprehension of that practice area. So if you're an auditor, you need the CPMA. If, you know, if you're going into a, a special, a specialty, you're going to need to demonstrate that expertise with some of these certifications. Now, should you go out and collect certifications? No, because it's, really easy to poke holes in your experience and determine that you just really pass a, a test and you don't have practical experience in that specialty or in that area. So um, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of people who I call them like credential, like collectors, where they have like all these credentials like behind their name. And I'm like, how many of these things do you actually actively work in? And like, what are you involved in when you have all these specialty credentials? Because we touched about touched on this in a past episode about trying to be the jack of all trades, that that doesn't really work. It's like not effective. And I mean, I don't know. I question, I have questions when I see a lot of credentials behind somebody's 
name. I'm like asking myself as a potential employer, if I'm looking at it through that lens, like, okay, are they the one that, you know, they feel that they can go and pass the test and because they have the credential behind their name, you know, they're qualified. Is it something where they have an insecurity about them where they're really insecure and they feel that they need to have the long string of credentials behind, you know, their name is, you know, what, what's the psychology behind all the credentials, I guess, is what I think sometimes when I see that, especially if they're all over the place, if they're related, then it kind of makes sense. Or there's a progression, like you can see the natural progression with some and why some would be held together. Um, And it's so expensive. I don't know why people would want to spend all of that money on that. If you think that by going out and if you're looking for a job and you don't have solid experience and you think that earning 10 specialty credentials is going to open up the door for you without the experience, it's probably not going to happen. You're wasting, you know, your money. It's like, I feel like if there's one specialty you're drawn to, start there, you know, go for that credential, master that. Then if you want to go try something else, you know, go, go from there, get your core credentials first. You know, I have people come to me and say, I don't have any coding credential. Can I take your course, you know, and and go sit for the CIRCC? And I say, you can. I said, but the odds of success are diminished if you don't have a core coding credential, because I don't teach you the CPT basics. I don't start there. I assume you have a certain level of knowledge of CPT coding. With that said, could somebody who's really sharp come in and take the course and sit for that exam? Yes. Are they the exception to the rule? Absolutely. They're the exception to the rule Um, because you have to have a certain level of knowledge. The only people that I say, hey, come on in, in that instance, is if somebody is a technologist who's been doing the procedures in the suite with the interventional radiologist and they have the clinical knowledge because that is valuable to them where they understand enough about the procedure. And I'm just teaching them how to code this specialty and they get enough of the rules where they, you know, if that's all they want to do, they're good. But beyond that, I tend not to not to go there. So again, it's it's starting out with the more general education, I feel more general credential. And then, you know, decide, hey, like, I think I like orthopedics. When I see orthopedics, just the ICD-10 coding in ortho, I'm like, I never want to have anything to do with that. When I have to code for fractures, when I'm doing diagnostic radiology, I want to pull my hair out. I'm like, why does anybody want to work in ortho? <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a big difference between like, oh, I got my CPC and I think I want to get into auditing. So I'm going to go ahead and just get my auditing credential. So I already have that in my back pocket and just going around and going, I'm going to take this and 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 and kind of throw it against the wall and see what sticks. You know, it's tough because back in the day, uh, you only had a handful of credentials you could get. And now there's such this variety and I'll see things on people's profiles on their signatures and it'll say you know what's what's a popular one now CMOM and I'm like I don't even know what the heck a CMOM is what is what is that what organization is that from um and there's you know we we know we can trust the AAPC we know we can trust AHIMA some of these other organizations it's a little tough we have credentials through the NHA that in some locations are very pertinent they're like yeah we'll accept that for a coding credential a lot of locations don't and, um, you know, it, it really depends on what you're doing, if it's worth it to go and get some of those like outside credentials. There's, um, what is the one? The CRCR is another popular one I'm seeing now, which is a certified revenue cycle specialist or something like that. And some organizations I've seen that they, they, they like that. 
Um, other people have absolutely no idea what it is. I think I went to go and get training for it myself one day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even follow this because it's all just text-based, click next, click next, click next. I'm like, oh my God, I, I, I can't. Um, but I even fall, fall prey to the FOMO of like, oh, all these people have all these cool credentials and I want to get them. You know, I don't know inpatient code. I know this much inpatient coding. I know, I know how to look things up kind of on a very basic level in the PCS book, but I have viewers that are like, Victoria, I want you to do more PCS stuff. And I'm like, well, should I go and get my CCS? Like, then I have to go and have two credential credentials through two organizing bodies, like AAPC and AHIMA. At this point, is it really worth it? Or should I go for my CIC and have inpatient credentials through that way? Or should I not even bother and just freaking learn PCS and that's the end of it and not have to pay the exam fee? <laughs> Um, but it's, it's tough because you feel, you feel like you kind of like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so got this and I should probably go and get this too. Sometimes it's just, it, it, you get, like I said, that fear of missing out, like someone has that and I should probably get that too. Or even sometimes they'll have these little sales, you know, you get these little sales from the AAPC and they're like, Hey, if you get one more credential, uh, it'll be half price. We'll throw in the exam and a study guide. And, you know, you're like, Oh, you know what? That's a pretty good deal. Maybe I could use some additional, you know, letters behind my name. You know, um, I fall and pray to that myself too. And then wound up never taking the exam. <laughs> Um, so it, it, it's, it's tough. You really have to evaluate, I think, what your goals are and what those credentials might mean for you. Not right now, but maybe down the line, because certainly I've had people that like when, when I got my, my auditing credential, they're like, oh, well, do they pay you more money for having that credential? Well, no. Did that credential eventually lead me to get a leg up when I was applying for a senior position or when I wanted to go and, you know, apply to speak somewhere or write something. Yes, that made sure that I had that feather in my cap, that it showed that I had, you know, that credential, that expertise in auditing. But it wasn't like a one-to-one -one ratio, like, hey, you get this credential and now we're going to give you a, a 75 cent raise. 75 cents. <laughs> Back when I got the credential, 75 cents would have been good. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. And the times that we're living in, 75 cents is like, can't do anything within it now. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, we all know to get a good jump in salary, you have to switch jobs. You rarely get a big bump internally for like anything. It is highly unlikely. It's not impossible. I think the most I ever got internally at one time probably would have been around the six or $7,000 like range. And I think that's kind of like the exception to the rule. So if you want the big bumps for that extra credential, you just got to go somewhere else and look for another job. That's just a fact. Yeah, I think everybody's, you know, journey is unique and different. And, um, you know, I've seen people with college degrees that are very successful. And I've seen people with college degrees that are not successful at all. I've seen people that have 10 credentials after their name that I'm constantly ask myself how they have 10 credentials after the name because it just doesn't make sense it's not adding up <laughs> and then i see people that have you know one or two credentials they've got 20 years of work experience and they are solid right so it's it's not an apples to apples or a one-to-one -one type of uh, comparison so to wrap up um what is your recipe for true career success in our industry and does it require a college degree victoria we go first 
I'm going to say as far as do you need a degree? No, there are certain positions, though, that if you want to get into, you're probably going to need a degree. You want to be the director of the revenue cycle? Probably going to need a degree. You want to be director of, um, you know, coding compliance or you want to be, you know, any sort of more so director VP type of uh, roles? Probably going to need a bachelor's degree for those. If you want to be a medical coder, you want to be a biller you want to even be a supervisor, they're probably not going to ask for a degree. Um, you'll, you might see some positions out there that they will say that they prefer a degree, but that doesn't always mean that they will require you to have a degree. Um, I think the three of us are just shining examples of the fact that you don't need to have a master's degree education to be very, very successful in this. I certainly would never poo-poo on anyone who wants to go back and they want to get the education, but evaluate like if I've seen so many coders that have gone out and they're like, oh, I want to get my RHIA. I want to pay for my bachelor's degree. But their goal is to just stay in coding. They don't want to go and be a manager. They don't want to go be a director. So if you're winding up paying all of those student loans and not changing positions, getting the exact same pay rate, you're going to wind up technically losing money. If your employer is paying for it and you're like, hey, I just want this education because I, I just like to be a, a smart cookie and I think this is going to be beneficial to me, then by all means, if you have the time and the means, go ahead and, and do it. But you know, if your focus is, oh, well, I'm going to get it because I'm going to make more money, but you don't want to be in a management position, you might want to think twice about that. Yeah, definitely. So I would say, you know, it's always to me, I look at things like cost benefit, like analysis, how much are you going to spend on your education? And then what's your return on investment? That's like the first thing that I think you need to consider. Now, I also think people need to be diligent about doing research, you need to go out there and research, number one, the types of jobs that you are interested in, what are the educational requirements, that's the first thing to do see if it requires a bachelor's degree, master's degree, um, start there. And then once you know that, then start looking at educational programs and do a lot of digging and do a lot of research because all programs are not equal. You have a lot of price points, you know, like we've already said, you have, you know, your two, you know, your associate's degree programs, you have bachelor's degree programs, you have certificate programs. You have like these technical schools that offer coding certificate programs, you know, which are different from the ones that you get in college. Because if you take a certificate program at college, credits are transferable if you do want to go into a degree. And then looking at those, you know, non-traditional ways of getting education where they're not really educational institutions. You know, we named a couple here, you know, during this episode and kind of think outside. I mean, APC does a lot of stuff, um, you know, with online education if people, you know, trust APC. But there are also things beyond APC. Obviously, APC is about APC. And we all get that they're a business and they want to make money like any other business. So they're going to be out there promoting their educational programs. But you have a lot of people that have been credentialed through AAPC um, and you have a lot of the instructors, you know, the approved instructors through AAPC who offer education. So there are other ways to go about it um, and make it more affordable if you're just interested in medical coding. But with that said, if you think you might want to get a degree and work towards that, then you'd want to go to a certificate program in a college because then the money you spend is going to go towards getting that degree. But I see too many people who get sucked in, they get that hard, you know, said that, you know, there's a high pressure sales pitch and they're promised like all of these things and they get sucked in. And I know people who, you know, pay colleges, you know, close to 30 grand, 
you know, 20, 20 to 30 grand for coding programs. And I'm like, that's absolutely insane. And there's no reason for that. And they do come out and they have trouble getting jobs and entry level coders. I mean, I think salaries have gone up over the years. I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see in our field with salaries. But if you take somebody that's spent, you know, like you were saying, Victoria, the medical assistant or even a coder, or they spend 30 grand on a program, are they going to make that their first year in, in working in the industry? Probably not. And so that's something it's kind of like buyer beware and always look for who are the accrediting bodies, who are the schools accredited by, because every school will say that they're accredited. There's some accrediting agency that's more of like general. They have general accreditation. They don't necessarily have like, you know, specialty accreditation, like for HIMA, it would be those KHIM programs. You have to come out of a KHIM program to sit for the RHIA or RHIT. You're not going to do it any other way. So you're wasting your time if your goal is to get the RHIA or RHIT, for example. And of course, coding credentials, anybody can sit for those. There's no prerequisite as far as what program you come out of for a coding credential. Yeah, um, just to piggyback on what Stacey said, I mean, AAPC and AHIMA are organizations that are, right, they're looking out for themselves. AAPC is a for-profit, AHIMA is a non-profit. I will say AAPC, um, you know, has created a lot of certification programs, a lot of certifications, and um, some of those certifications have not generated enough revenue for them. So they've discontinued those certification programs. Um, I think, you know, Victoria, you've talked about that. Um, I have one. <laughs> yeah, the plastic surgery, right. So you're doing one. Yeah, I can see but no one else can take. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I used to have a coder um, that worked for me and she's a CPCH and it's like, what's that? It was a, a CPC, a hospital, but like she told me there's like nothing about hospitals on the exam or, you know, really part of the curriculum. So um, take that with a grain of salt, take what these organizations are promoting. Just keep in mind, they have a bottom line that they're thinking about. And as a for-profit company, they're thinking about shareholders and profits and that sort of thing. So um Ahima, I'm certified with both AAPC and Ahima. Um, I think that they're very different. I will say that Ahima has always pushed bachelor and master's degrees programs mm -hmm. very heavily. Um, and, um, you know, I don't agree, obviously, with that approach. I think that it's outdated. And again, you kind of have to look at where the interests are. There's special interests, right? Uh, college programs and referring students. Like, you got to think about the kickback arrangements that exist. Um, and, you know, for uh, AHIMA to become a fellow for AHIMA, you have to have a master's degree to even qualify to be a fellow, which I think is absurd because your years of experience should be a substitute to that. So they don't capture a lot of the people that they could because they promote these um, college degrees so heavily. Whereas don't get, me, don't get me started on the fellow thing, because years ago when I was in my 30s, I was relatively young. I met all of the qualifications for fellow status because I had accomplished so much and done so much in the industry. The only reason I couldn't apply was I didn't have a master's degree. And I would look at people who would get approved as fellows and I'm like, I have contributed more than these people. If you look at my body of work as far as, you know, volunteering and serving in leadership roles and publishing and all that. And that always stuck in my craw. It still does. And so that's where I get on my soapbox about an HIMA with certain things in the higher. We need to do an episode where we talk about AAPC and HIMA and really dig into that. I think, um, you know, for people who don't know, there's still a lot of people that are members of that organization that don't know a lot. 
and don't understand the differences or the pros and cons of each. So maybe we can explore that in a future episode. Um, you know, Victoria, I think you're just with AAPC, correct? But Tony and I are with both. Yep, I'm just a just AAPC. And that's all good. I mean, I didn't mean you're just AAPC. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> you're lucky you, know, you only have one organization i have credentials through three organizations so that that's a lot to manage it is a lot to manage and oh yeah one more thing if you get more certifications you got to get more ceus so don't forget that it is one of those strings that's attached and if you get specialty uh certifications you have to have specialty ceus so just think about um you know that uh, attachment as you're adding to your list of certifications and credentials. So, um, you know, just to kind of wrap up, um, I also agree. Absolutely not. You do not need a college degree for success in the industry. Stacy's got a bachelor's. I've got an associate's, uh, Victoria's got a, you know, a, a, a program certificate. So like we're living proof that you can be widely successful in the industry without that piece of paper that you probably paid way too much money for. Now for our industry specifically, I will say there are some foundational bricks that you absolutely need to be successful. You need to know medical terminology. You need to know anatomy and physiology. You need to know pharmacology. There's certain things that you have to have as far as a foundational layer of knowledge. Do you need to go to college for that? No, you can take, um, you know, a course that somebody offers. Victoria has an entire library on her YouTube channel of stuff that you can plug into for free, right? Yep. There's yep. all of these organizations that have free resources. There's also organizations that have paid resources, right? Um, Victoria does a prep course. Stacy's got a prep course. All of these things are, um, you know, things you want to evaluate. Don't look at the companies that have the big marketing dollars. You got to look for the unicorns. You got to look for, you know, the folks that have taken the textbook and made it so relatable and digestible that it just makes sense. Um, so a degree is not a requirement. A degree does not lead to a job. A degree does not lead to better pay. We've already kind of debunked all of that. Um, and Stacy talked about the cost benefit analysis, really evaluate for every decision that you make career wise, what's the cost benefit analysis, because you could get a college degree for a hundred thousand dollars. You could get a coding certification for, you know, like a thousand dollars all in, right. If you, you know, buy the books and all of the stuff and, and go different routes. I think Victoria, you've got a video on that, how to, how to go through this process on a budget and, um, you know, it these invaluable resources, they did not exist when we were coming into the industry. They certainly didn't exist for me. Stacy, you, you told us like pre-HIPAA, you know, stuff. So they definitely didn't have that stuff back then. I'm from the um, dinosaur age before we even had the internet. Like the internet started coming into play. Like when I, you know, a few years into my work. Actually, when did we get internet on the job? It was a while. I didn't have access to the internet right away when I started working. So total dinosaur era. I was cracking up when you were like pre-HIPAA we used to do this it's just so funny to to think about <laughs> so yeah um you know my last uh advice would be if you're looking to get into the industry get a job first get a job in a healthcare organization start anywhere front desk scheduling um whatever you can do to get your foot in the door that's what i did and then you just build and compound on that it takes years to develop your expertise. It takes years to even understand like what the, who the players are, how it all works and where you fit into the equation. And then it takes, 
you know, a long time to really evaluate where you want to go. And, and that's going to change depending on the direction, you know, that you want to go. Um, you know, one of the things that I think really is very important if you're getting into the field is you need to know that this is a lifelong learning commitment. You took your certification, you passed your certification, great. It doesn't stop there. It really only begins. We have to constantly learn new regulations, look at, you know, changes in like the Medicare physician fee schedule and OBPS and all of the federal registrar stuff, all the code sets. This is a lifelong commitment to learning. So if you're not dedicated to that, if you're a one and done type of person, this is definitely not the industry um, for you. So with that in mind, um, are we going to do Stacy's shoe and tell? I was holding the shoe up to like remind you because I thought you were going to wrap up and I was like, we didn't do shoe and tell yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is my latest acquisition. So these actually arrived on my doorstep yesterday morning. Like I love it when I'm sitting here working in my home office and the UPS man comes and like leaves me like pretty packages. So um, these are another pair of Jessica Simpsons that I found like on sale that I absolutely love. Obviously they're like all sparkly, like most of my shoes. So I'm looking forward to wearing these. They're similar color scheme to the one pair that I showed off a few weeks ago where I'm like, they're super uncomfortable. Um, so these I think will be a little bit more comfortable because they're platforms. So if anybody's in like heels, platforms tend to be more comfortable because your foot isn't like this in the shoe. So yeah, this was my latest purchase. I saw them on sale and just had to had to have them. So I keep They're growing beautiful. your collection. The so. color scheme is beautiful, but I would literally break my damn neck if I even like. <laughs> yeah. So many people say that like with my shoes. So you definitely have to be careful like in them when you're wearing them, especially like when I'm at hotels, like at conferences. And if you're walking like on a tile floor, you always have to walk kind of carefully because on tile, all you need is that heel to hit it the wrong way. <laughs> there goes your ankle. Yeah, I've had that happen like before. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. <laughs> we have a, an ICD-10 code for, uh, you know, injury related to high heels. <laughs> There's got to be one. There has to be one for sure. Oh, totally. Uh, well, Stacy, I can vouch for her. She looks very good in her heels and she walks like a pro in those heels because I cannot do that. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Well, Stacy Shoe and Tell, there you have it. So thank you so much for tuning in to our Coding Consultant Confessions podcast series. Don't forget to drop us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. And we can't wait to see you for our next confession. Thank you for tuning in to Coding Consultant Confessions with Tony Elhomes, Stacey Buck, and Victoria Mole. Unfiltered, unedited, unapologetic. Connect with the Coding Consultant Confessions podcast on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Simply search for Coding Consultant Confessions on any of these platforms to connect and engage with Tony, Stacey, and Victoria.